Welcome to Out on a Limb, where traditional finance and the new digital economy converge with a sense of history. It is 4.30 p.m. on September 13th, 2022, and this is episode number four. My name is Tim Enneking. Today we will discuss three main topics, two of which we visited in the past, but very much given today's events when we saw the higher than expected inflation news uh, are very much worth covering. The first is the crazy correlation we've seen over the last three fiat trading days between crypto and fiat. The second is when bad news is good news, because there's more of that coming up. And the third is holding crypto to higher standards than fiat or traditional finance. Back to the first. Today, as I'm sure most of you know, the inflation figures in the United States came out. And here the United States really is the dog wagging the tail because it still is the largest economy in the world, although it represents about a quarter of the world economy, still a lot in one country. So it's very, very important regardless of where you sit. The inflation rate came out at 8.3%, which is better than last month. So there's a bit of good news there, but it wasn't a lot better. And the consensus expectation was 8.1%. And that difference uh, caused a massive sell-off in Wall Street. Really quite, really quite stunning because the uh, the Dow, which not many people pay attention to anymore, and I don't consider it fairly reliable, was down a little under 4%. But the S&P, a much better indicator, was down 4 and 3%. And stunningly, the NASDAQ was down more than 5%. Just amazing to watch that. But what was even more amazing is the moment that news came out, which was, I'm looking at it now, it was about uh, 9.30 this morning PST, or about noon uh, in, uh, on the East Coast of the United States, in five minutes, the price of BTC went down by 6%. And it pretty much stayed there for most of the day. And I'll get back to what happened later. Well, the NASDAQ opened well below, the, uh, well below yesterday's close and just and went down all day and dropped another uh, 100 points in the last uh, two hours of trading. So just a super, super ugly day and insanely highly correlated. One of the notes I'd made to myself for this, uh, for this podcast was Friday, how, how it, was, it was fascinating to watch where crypto, which doesn't close, was up early in the morning on Friday, and then the and fiat equities followed it in the East Coast of the United States. It was just very interesting to see because Sometimes crypto will be a leading indicator uh, because it's open all the time and sometimes it will follow. And so that was my thought was I was going to talk about that correlation. And then today happened when the correlation was beyond ridiculous. And what you had during we had happened is during the trading day on the East Coast, the Nasdaq's down just over 5% and crypto is down just over 6% which actually leads to the third topic when we get to it. So you can see there was not a major difference between the two asset classes, which personally I don't like. I don't like correlation because if you're investing in correlated assets, you're not really diversifying. And so you see, you saw both major asset classes or fiat, the major asset class in crypto, which is trying to get there, fall by about the same amount. Then the story gets worse for crypto because Right, at, it starts to stabilize right about the close 
uh, of the fiat markets on the East Coast of the United States. And then my time at, at roughly 3.30, which is 6.30 morning in, in, in the morning in most places in Asia, what we call the Asia wake up. So it's still quite early, but you have people getting up and starting to trade. And if you're in Australia or New Zealand, they've been up for a while starting to trade. You start to see the effect of, of Asia on the market. And what happened? Asia wakes up to this bloodbath that happened in New York and Asian markets plunge, and then Bitcoin takes another leg down. So you saw it drop another 3%. Interestingly, Asia has basically recovered. The Hang Seng is, is down 18 bips, Nikkei is, down, is up 25, and the Asia down is, Dow is down a half, and Shanghai is down five bips. So it really hasn't moved, which is really quite remarkable, but they had a, they had a worse week last week so they really absorbed some of this. But BTC, on the other hand, took another Asia step down, briefly dipped below 20K. And keep in mind, it was at 22.8 earlier today, six hours ago. It was, it was uh, almost $3,000 higher. And now it appears to be have stabilized around 20, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. So now you have uh, BTC, which first is very correlated, very tightly correlated with the East Coast of the U.S., Asia wakes up, it takes a hit, it recovers, and BTC just stays down. So to some extent, you've gotten the, the worst of all worlds. Interestingly, though, if you do the correlation between BTC and Asia markets, the correlation will be lower than the correlation between ETs, BTC and East Coast markets. So the, you know, the correlation is obviously not one-to-one -to, -one to equity markets that happen to be open, particularly since on rare occasion, equity markets are actually open at the same time. But you can see how the, the, there is sometimes a crazy correlation between fiat and BTC, and sometimes it's less, which is what you would expect. But really don't like this correlation uh, as uh, we see it now, mainly because it undermines one of the primary theses of crypto, which is as a haven. It shouldn't be correlated. There's no reason for it to be correlated. So if people are getting crushed in fiat markets, they should be running the crypto because it's immune from the same sort of same sort of changes and same sort of macroeconomic effects as the fiat markets. Well, obviously that's not proven to be the case because of changes in the uh, changes in the makeup of the investor base. We'll talk a little bit about that next week. And so you end up with this high correlation and. Uh, crypto being lumped in with risk on or assets or risk off assets if you're backing out of them. So today was just a crazy level of correlation, which uh, we have to hope it won't continue. But there are really, as so much as I'd like to see it break, there are no indications that that correlation is going to break anytime soon. That leaves us to topic two, uh, one of my favorites, which is bad news is good news. As a result of this inflation news, which wasn't horrible compared to what people expected, but it means that inflation's not going down very quickly, which also means it's going to be with us for a long period of time. And the corollary to that is that the uh, next week, the likely increase in interest rates will be 75 basis points and not 50. And if it is, uh, that will fly in the face of my, my prior prediction when I went out on a limb. But we'll come back to that in a second because I'm going to start giving I'll talk to you about the scorecard we're going to start doing here. But anyway, it's very, very likely that 75 bips 
will be the uh, interest rate increase next week. And in fact, 100 bips is on the table where it was something that really no one was talking about, a full 1% increase. I suspect that won't be the case, but uh, bond markets are pricing an 18% chance. Why is that bad news is good news? A little bit related to what I spoke about last week. If we get 75 next week, which seems very likely, we'll probably get 50 with the next raise before the end of the year, and maybe another 25, we'll see. But what, this, what, what all of this means is that the aggressive rate increases are now being front-loaded even more than people expected. As a result of that, we should see a tapering off, a more significant tapering off of inflation. And there actually is a better chance, paradoxically, of uh, easing taking place in, er, in late 2023 or early 2024. Uh, Powell is walking a really fine line, raising interest rates this quickly and not pushing uh, the economy uh, over the edge into recession because the, and the risk is that you can increase inflation now, but you're not going to see the effect on the economy for several months. So you, you, you've got this uh, very, very difficult dance. It's like turning the wheel of a car, but you have to wait five seconds before your direction changes. And here... Uh, you, the, we've got Powell jerking the wheel of the car, nothing happening immediately, except the stock market, obviously. But there's what is happening to the overall market? You don't see that yet. So the so interest rate hikes is not so much a, a trailing indicator, uh, but a, tra- a trailing factor. It's behind the effects. It's, uh, I guess, another metaphor would be trying to steer an aircraft carrier from from a boat that's about two miles behind it. You don't see the effects of turning this massive ship until much, much later. As a result of that, though, you may see next week with a 75 basis point increase, you may actually see a pop on the equities markets. Be interesting if it does happen. I'm not, I'll go on a limb and say there will be an increase. That's the whole purpose here. Just because that means if there's a 75 basis point increase, there won't be a 100 point increase and you get rid of uncertainty. Markets do not like uncertainty. As I said before, rather work for a boss who is consistently cranky than one who is cranky one day and little Mary Sunshine the next. Give us consistency even if it's bad news. Give us the rules so we can play by them. So we may see next week that bad news is good news. We'll see whether that happens. The third point I want to make is is related to this. Hang on one second. I'm going to write down, I'm writing down here that uh, market pop on 75 bips. And I'll explain why I'm doing that in a second. The the third point is standards. It's very interesting. I have a a lot of discussions with people about crypto. Because on the one hand, as I mentioned, I, I I'm the CIO of a nine-figure family office that does no crypto. And on the other hand, I'm the managing partner or managing director of three different crypto companies. So I've firmly got a foot in each camp. And so I get asked a lot about you know, why invest in crypto, what to do with crypto. And I was asked last, last week about exactly that. And the question was interesting because it ta- the, the question was about volatility and which is why the segue of today is nice because the markets during the Eastern Standard Time EST opening hours, the market, fiat markets went down just over 5% and crypto went down just over 6%. And there are a lot of tokens in the top 30 that went down a lot less than 6%. And there were no tokens today during the, during the EST opening hours that were down 
uh, double figures. So here you had an almost uh, uh, slightly, you had slightly more uh, volatility in crypto, but certainly not significant. And so I said something that I've said several times that occurred to me that would be a good topic for the broadcast, and that is people who are looking at crypto, fiat folks or TradFi folks that are looking at crypto, often hold crypto or try to hold crypto to higher standards than they hold fiat. In other words, they're comparing crypto to perfection, and if crypto is perfect, they'll invest in it. If not, they won't. Uh, one of the notable folks who agrees with this sort of analysis is actually one of the commissioners of the SEC, Hester Pierce. She has often complained that her colleagues are holding crypto in terms of being a security or not, and particularly in terms of uh, allowing an ETF, an exchange-traded fund in Bitcoin, holding it to higher standards, holding Bitcoin to higher standards than it holds other ETFs. And I would certainly say that in the case of the SEC, that is absolutely true. But there are other examples besides securities laws and regulations where that kicks in. People say, for instance, oh, well, crypto is used for uh, illegal purposes like money laundering. And it's like, yeah, you're right, it is. Uh, and no fiat currency, no U.S. dollars, no euros, no Swiss francs are used for illegal purposes or for money laundering, right? And obviously, that's not correct. And obviously, crypto is. But if you look at illegal usage from a law enforcement standpoint, if you're handing off suitcases of euros from, from uh, you know, one illegal uh, from, one, from one person to another in an, in an illegal activity, and I use euros as an example because there's a 500 euro note, so it takes a lot fewer, a lot fewer suitcases to transfer a significant amount of money rather than, rather than U.S. dollars where you only have a hundred dollar note. There, there's no trail of that, right? Unless you happen to have a CCTV floating around near it. You have no record. But with every transfer of crypto, you have a record. You don't have a name attached to it, but there are a lot of ways to, to attach a name to, uh, to transfers. And if nothing else, you still have this immutable record that gives you a far better starting point and tracking point, notwithstanding what, what uh, crypto folk try to say about anonymity, than you have in the, in the regular economy and dealing, with, um, and, and dealing with cash in that regard. Market manipulation, same issue. Yes, crypto is manipulated. Perhaps it's manipulated more than fiat markets, but you can't tell me that fiat markets are not. Volatility, today was a wonderful day. Yes, you have lots of volatility in crypto. Today, I admit, was an exceptional day in TradFi on the East Coast, but nevertheless, you still had a huge amount of volatility in today's, uh, in today's trading. Uh, durability and longevity, it's the same, the same sort of concept where you have a lot of turnover, a lot more than you realize. There are literally something like three, <clears throat> excuse me, three stocks in the, in the NASDAQ that have been around more than 100 years. Now, that's a high standard, and most crypto have been around less than 10. Bitcoin's been around 12, but it's pretty hard to hold crypto to a very high standard in terms of longevity when it's effectively a new invention. Look at SPACs, for instance, which have been around uh, in, in mass, if you will, for two or maximum three years. So when you're, looking at, when you're looking at crypto from a fiat standpoint, you really have to analyze it in terms of what is reasonable, what is the standard that we have today? Can we improve on that standard? We should certainly try to improve, but let's not get carried away with uh, wanting crypto to function uh, so much better 
than fiat that it's virtually an impossible standard to reach. Those are the three topics. I just want to mention something, call it administrative, and that is uh, I'm going to start tracking, which is why you heard me scribbling down the, the going out on a limb there, which I'll try not to interrupt the podcast for in the future, writing down when I have gone out on a limb and then tracking myself. Uh, we've got, I've got other members of my team here, uh, and we will keep track of these predictions where I've gone out on a limb give myself a true or false scorecard. So not everything is black and white, but we'll try to make the, the, the times when I go out on a limb as clear and as black and white as possible. And then I'll, we'll come up with a batting average and see how, see how I'm doing. One of the things I do not like about, about many talking heads, if I may be so bold, or pundits, if I may be even bolder, is that they don't keep track of themselves. They can say anything one week, and the next week it's like they haven't you know, they've totally you know, lost the memory of it, short-term memory issues or whatever. They don't want to admit that they've been incorrect. Don't like that, won't do that. And so now I'm going to hold my own feet to the fire and give myself uh, a scorecard. The last thing I'll say today, and I won't do a lot of things like this because it's totally unrelated, but I want to uh, praise the people of the Ukraine for absolutely pulling off, first of all, a wonderful deception operation by talking for almost six weeks about a counterattack in the south of Ukraine in the Kherson in the area, and then launching that attack so it wasn't a complete bluff, and then uh, at the same time, which is really remarkable, launching another offensive around Kharkiv and doing so well. Uh, as some of you may know, I spent a lot of time in, in Eastern Europe, and I'm a fluent Russian speaker, and I'm, my, my heart really goes out to the Ukrainians for what they're experiencing. Absolutely fabulous what the Ukrainians were, a, were able to pull off. This is something that uh, I'm also former military. I'm a retired lieutenant colonel in the United States Army. So I have a real feel for, for uh, the sort of tactics involved. And I can guarantee you that in the various uh, war colleges and schools that I've attended, we're going to be studying this Ukrainian campaign and what they've been able to do in the last week for decades, if not centuries to come. So congratulations, Ukraine, and keep on rolling. Thank you very much. That's it for this week. You take care.